ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this week's Red Voices. Thank you so much for stopping by, as always. Just to give you an idea of what we've got going on this week, we've got myself, Ewan and Rich, to begin with, talking about the Chelsea game. And then we've got a chat with our old friend Harriet Drudge, who's been writing for Manchester United on the women's team. So we have a quick chat about how the women's team has been getting on over the last few months. And to end it, a thoroughly enthralling and not at all depressing chat about Tuesday night's defeat to Juventus with Rich to round off the podcast. Enjoy! Richard, dear old Richard, how are you doing? Hello, I'm alright, how are you? Yeah, pretty gravy. Still mildly annoyed at that last minute equaliser yesterday, but what can you do? Apart from, you know, defend better. I think mildly is probably a, a little understatement, isn't it? Uh, well, I mean, that was a kick in the teeth yesterday afternoon after everything was, that we've yeah. been set up for. Yeah, I mean, again, look at it in context, we probably would have taken a draw before the game, really, wouldn't we? I mean, especially yes. with the way that first yeah. half, he said, yeah, you'll end up drawing this game, fair enough. But to not win in such circumstances given that we played some excellent stuff in that second half was a mm. kick to an uncomfortable region as i say again but still some good stuff to cover so let's get straight into it you know we went into that game a couple of weeks after that comeback against newcastle and you know we never do particularly well at stanford bridge the last time we won there was if memory serves Oh, good grief. Was it the last title winning season, 2012-2013, when we had that ridiculous game yeah, where, three, two, yeah. <laughs> what was it, Ivanovic yeah. and Torres both got sent off, which was, yeah. you know, that that was a steal of a game, that one. That <laughs> was hilarious. And we haven't yeah, was, yeah. come close to winning since. You know, I guess, well, you could say the last time we were uh, Van Hal's second season, where, again, we let in a very late goal when we were in the lead. But... <sighs> You know, and the first half was poor. You know, we we didn't really create anything of note. It was very slow. It was pretty stodgy. You could see what we were going for. It was a very attacking lineup, but it really didn't pan out that way, did it? No, I can't put my finger on why it is, but United's first halves are almost almost exclusively dreadful or very low tempo, a bit directionless. It's almost as if we don't need to watch the first half. We just need to turn at half time and, and see what, what our response is after that. And it's okay. It's okay picking what is on paper a, a, an offensive lineup, but it's the way that that team plays. And as has been the case in most of our first, well, a lot of our first halves this season, we were just entirely passive. You know, Chelsea were leading at 1-0 at half-time and it, and it was, you know, it was, it was beyond comfortable. They'd scored and they just kept the ball and we didn't really pose any threat at all. We're making things hard for ourselves and the fact we can't defend set pieces <laughs> is a particular problem. Yeah, I mean, speaking of set pieces, I mean, that was the real talking point of the first half, wasn't it? And I've got to admit, once that goal went in and the replay made it clear where the fault lay, I did find myself thinking, right, as soon as we get to half time, I'm just turning the TV off for 15 minutes because I do not want to hear how that's going to be dissected by a certain couple of scousers in in the Sky offices. Oh, good grief. I mean, Pogba doing what I would do in that situation. You're ballsed up and you're looking around for someone to blame. But he's got no one there to lay responsibility on but his own shoulders. He just didn't pick Rudiger up whatsoever. You know, he can't blame Lindelof. Now, there is something to be discussed in terms of the way United was set up from that corner because we know Pogba's not great in terms of defensive headers despite his size. But yeah, on the face of it, a really poor moment from him, wasn't it? It was, and it also seems to be a bit of a collective misunderstanding of what exactly we're trying to do at set pieces. I mean, Josie mentioned afterwards that we defended in a mixed style from set pieces. So we we have some man marking, we also have zonal marking. The theory behind that is really that you have a backup. If one, if if part one fails, part two should cover the problem. <laughs> but it was well, precisely. But so so what essentially happened was I think Pogba got slightly blocked off. You know, not not enough to 
completely halt his marking of Rudiger. And he, you, you see him shout to Lindelof to try and cover Rudiger's run, which Lindelof either doesn't hear or he didn't do it or whatever. But the point was that once Pogba had lost Rudiger, he had a free run into wide open space just outside the six-yard box in the middle of the goal. It's a double error. from We've lost the man in the first place, and whoever's supposed to be covering that zone has clearly wandered off and is daydreaming somewhere else. Mm. And as you say, it doesn't, it doesn't make a lot of sense to have Paul Pogba man-marking players at the back. I mean, Chelsea are essentially, aside from Morata, Luis and Rudiger, are essentially a team of hobbits. So we had we had three players that were dangerous, really dangerous at corners that we needed to mark. And you you'd think in those circumstances you'd probably assign the two centre backs and then maybe Matic. You know, as the guys who are, you know, proper defenders and solidly defensive and we know that Pogba isn't great at, at defending, regardless of how tall he is on you know, particularly defending at set pieces and crosses and things. It would never have happened if Fellaini was on the pitch. <laughs> no, I probably wouldn't, no. But it was just we seem to have a collective failure. There seems to be a, a collective misunderstanding of who's supposed to be doing what at set pieces. And there was another example in the second half, wasn't there, at one all where Chelsea swung in a free kick from the right-hand side and everybody just left. Luis was just left on his mm-hmm. own yep. around the penalty spot. Unfortunately, he just, just headed it wide. And then obviously the goal at the end. So I don't know what we're practising in training, but it's not getting through to the players on no the pitch. it's not I mean the worrying thing is as well you know we can talk about all these defensive woes and we're completely correct because we just look so shaky at the back you know th- there were again some good decent moments and I thought Chris Smalling apart from that one wild time in the first sorry to start the second half where he just raced out and left his zone completely wide open mm-hmm. and I think Morata had a fairly decent chance and you know the broader point about our defense is that this is the same group of players that we had last year arguably with a better left back option with Luke Shaw actually performing well and with Valencia not so much in the team at the moment and Young giving us a bit more in terms of crossing and ability you'd say it probably should be a bit better than it was you know our defense was well it wasn't perfect by any stretch of the imagination last season but we were difficult to get through that's the complete opposite what's happened in these last few months that's just made us so porous I don't get it but you know at least you can say from that position at halftime, yes, this was very similar to what we were saying after the Newcastle game. At least there was a response. You know, we talked about how the players react to going behind and how they cope with being in a losing position. Put it this way, you know, I was not expecting us to get 2-1 ahead in that game at any stage. But I thought no. once we started to play some good stuff and once we started to attack and once the space started to be there, you know, Chelsea were there to be broken on. And... In particular, the goals that we scored were well worked. You know, you look at the way that we kept on going, despite the fact, was it Alonso who was down in the box for that first goal? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. it was just good work. You know, we kept the pressure on, we gave ourselves options, there were people in the box, and it made it difficult to stop us. Excellent touch. And what a finish from Martial, though. Wasn't that lovely? Yeah, it was. And I think it highlights what we were saying after the Newcastle game, what we've been saying for a few weeks, in that, you know, United's quality is clearly in the forward players. The Chelsea game demonstrated that when we play to our strengths, to those strengths, and we actually get numbers forward and get get attacking players in in zones where they can do damage, and also pressing, we we pressed much harder and much higher in the second half than we had in the first. Mm. And it's it, it seems you know it seems almost too obvious that if you've got a talent in attack but a, but a, a jittery, relatively weak defence then you want to be playing in areas of the pitch which are as far away from your goal as possible so there's not great pressure on your back four. And what we've been doing for a lot of the season, and again what we were kind of doing in the first half at the weekend, was 
essentially just sitting back, not pressing, not trying to play higher up the pitch and, and just inviting pressure onto ourselves. So this was another really great pointer. And I think that the two or three of the really good tactical uh, football writers all wrote today that the same thing, that, that United need to be playing on the front foot because we can clearly do damage. We've done damage to one of the best teams in the Premier League on their own ground. And as you saw from Martial, you know, there's a guy who, since Sanchez came, basically just completely threw him off his game. A guy said he wanted to leave in the summer just because he didn't think that Mourinho trusted him. Somebody that we heard that Mourinho wanted to sell and the club refused to sell him. You know, there is clearly a good a player in there, a really good player. And I would almost argue he's the best finisher at the club. Mm, no, and I agree. It, it's just getting him in those areas because we saw, you know, as you say, the first goal was a really, really, you know, sharp finish. And the second one was really, really good goal. Yeah, I mean, I was concerned about that first touch when he received the ball from Rashford for the second goal, that he just taken it too far. But again, just proves as it was against Newcastle, he's a much smarter man than I am. What a finish. A lovely, lovely goal. And well worked as yeah, well. Great work by Mata down the right wing. Good pass to Rashford. Rashford, perhaps given this performance that game, wisely bypassing Lukaku and going straight for Martial. And he is deadly from those positions. You know, I am a big fan of Lukaku. I do think he's having a bit of a rough period at the minute and I do back him to get out of it. But I, I completely agree. I think from those sort of situations between the two of them at the moment, you put Martial nine times out of ten, wouldn't you, to finish from that sort of circumstance? He's just brilliant. Yeah. He's got such a great eye for goal when he's in those positions. And it's just a case of making sure we get him in those positions more often. Because as we've seen, as against Newcastle and against Chelsea twice, as you pointed out there, a difficult ground to go to. Liverpool left Stamford Bridge with a point and thought that was a good result. And considering our travails so far this season, we should take that as a pretty decent result ourselves. But again, you know, now we've gone for the good bit. So I guess we've got to talk about why we didn't win. So was it down substitutions? Did Marina just pull everything back? What What do you think it was? Uh, he brought Herrera on. I forget who, who Herrera came on for. Um, was it Mata? I think Mata uh, went off for Herrera. Yes. And I think that was that was a sound move because, you know, you want to, you can understand that you want to kind of shore up the, the middle of the pitch and matters he's not necessarily a 90 minute runner so it made that made sense but then I, taking off Martial didn't make sense to me because he was still doing damage he was offering a really good outlet on the counter-attack once he went off and we brought on Sanchez and Pereira as well we lost that element of pace to really damage Chelsea if they committed too many players forward and I think the consequence was that for the last perhaps 10 minutes or so, we, we started to allow ourselves to be under pressure again and to sink back. It was, it was disappointing that it was another set piece that we didn't defend properly, but we could also say really that we didn't necessarily need to be in such a passive state at that point in the game. You know, I mean, it's, natu- it's, it's human nature to try and protect what you've got, but if you remove the outlets that you need to avoid that as much as possible, then you're, you're almost ensuring it will happen. And I think the other thing was we just gave away too many free kicks in mm. around in around the box, and ultimately we got we got punished by one. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that stuck out to me, as you mentioned there with Martial, there was one excellent chance that we had in the break where Sanchez was running towards Lukaku and just overcooked his pass and forced Sanchez out wide once, or sorry, forced Lukaku out wide once or twice towards the end of that game. You're just thinking with Martial, who was really into in the zone, so to speak, in that 90 minutes, taking him out of there. Actually having him in that game at those moments could actually have been pivotal. We could have killed the game off had we been a little bit sharper on our counter-attack. But I guess, you know, 
How many times have we said that? Our counter-attack has not been sharp for a long, long time. It hasn't been. Lukaku was stinking as well, wasn't he? Had a... He was. He was not the only one. Matic had a shockingly bad first half. Yeah, yeah, he did. But I mean, Luka- the problem with Lukaku when he's not on form is that he just doesn't really offer you anything. He doesn't hold the ball up. He doesn't get into the box enough. He he just seems to, to wilt a bit from the game. And it, it would have made more sense to me either to bring Sanchez on and push for, for Lukaku and push Martial into the centre-forward role or just put Sanchez in the centre-forward role for Lukaku. Because essentially we, we weren't holding the ball up at all. He wasn't functioning in any, any sense as a centre-forward. and he, he isn't at the moment. So I think it was just a, a, a frustrating combination of things that kind of undid all of our good work. And you feel like... I mean, I was I was incredibly deflated after that, mm. and you felt like if we'd have won that game, that it really would have been a marker to the players as well that we had enough to go and beat some really good teams, and that we needed to believe us in ourselves a bit more again. But instead, we're coming away from it deflated again. Well, I mean, there's a couple of ways of looking at it. Again, as I said, you would have taken a point prior to the game in the context yeah. of that match. It is definitely two points dropped. There's just no getting around it. You know, you look back to that goal as well. Just that big cross in, Louise on the other side, unchallenged header from the far side of the uh, the penalty area. De Gea stranded, and bless him, an amazing reaction save to get Rudiger's initial header off. But the defence just was far too slow to react, wasn't it? And then Barkley just yeah. smashed home right at the death. And it was so frustrating because we had done so well to get up to that point. Six minutes of stoppage time. I mean, I know we wasted a bit of time, but Lord knows where that was going. I'm not one of these people who looks at referees' performances and just say, gosh, that ref just hates us. But I do not like watching Mike Dean referee United. Let's keep that <clears throat> completely clear. But yeah, you're right. I mean, it would have been nicer to come away considering that we got Juventus twice in the next couple of weeks with that win and with a bit of confidence and hopefully to sort of jumpstart our season and try and give us a bit of confidence going into what is going to be a difficult run of fixtures. But wasn't to be. You know, we'll think ahead to Juventus over at Old Trafford on Tuesday night. What a massive game that is. You know, I think the the context has changed slightly from this uh, Ronaldo homecoming that I think a lot of people are expecting, myself included, given the allegations that he's been dealt with. You know, I don't think I want to delve too tightly into that at the minute. I've got my own feelings on it. Suffice to say that I think we're both in agreement that the way Juventus have handled it publicly was shocking. Yeah, those tweets were pretty grim, weren't they? Ronaldo's a guy, and I'm sure it happened with a lot of the top footballers, but but, but I think Ronaldo particularly in that he's a one-man industry. You know, when when Juventus buy Ronaldo, they're not just buying a player; they're, they're buying a business. They're almost you know they're ta- attaching a a, a a second business to their own business, mm-hmm. such as his financial and playing influence. And what that essentially means is that everybody around Ronaldo is enthralled to Ronaldo and nobody wants to upset Ronaldo because there's so much to lose by doing that. I think their tweets, the the basis of their tweets was look, he's a great, this happened 10 years ago with the implication that it was a long time ago and, you know, it's in the midst of time and is thus less important. And also the fact that he's a great athlete. He's a great guy. Yeah, that makes it all right. You know, as if either of those things are relevant. And, you know, mm. you know, due process has to, has to take place. And ultimately, you have to let the police do their thing. Well, let's move on from that for the time being and just focus a little bit more on Juve. You know, I think they dropped points for the, what was it, the first time this weekend in Serie A? Well, I mean, that's not necessarily significant. It looks like they're just going to walk away with the title once again. I can't necessarily yeah, see yeah. there being much of a challenge for them. Coming into the season in good form, it's going to be really, really tough on Tuesday, isn't it? It is, and it's interesting to see... It'll be interesting to see how Mourinho approaches it. I mean, if we bear in mind that Valencia have already lost at home to Juventus. With a man advantage. With a man advantage. So, you know, essentially anything we get from that game is a point or three points gained on Valencia. 
I think at the moment, I mean, certainly where I'm approaching United going on now is simply just looking at the next game and wondering what's going to happen because you just don't know what you're going to get from game to game. So I'm just kind of looking forward to the Juventus game as a one-off match and it'll just be interesting to see how we approach it. I just, I think we have to approach it in a positive manner and try and, again, just try and play to our strengths. Mm. I mean, it's been a long time since we've had a glamour tie in the group stage of the Champions League for certain. You know, we've been very, very lucky with our draws for a long, long time and I can't remember the last time we actually played a so-called big European giant this early on in the competition. So yeah, I mean, it's nice on that level because it's a it's a glamour tie and it's something to look forward to. But on the other side, if United don't approach this right, it could be a very, very grim evening. And in particular, it could throw that Valencia result into sharper relief. Just before we dust off for this part of the episode, Rich, news on a potential Saudi interest in uh, taking over the club from the Glazers. You know, the worry that we're going to be taken over by a royal family slash, what was it, the Crown Prince, is it? Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. Not, well, you know. certainly the Saudi investment fund, isn't it? Generally? Indeed, yes. I think, obviously, with a country with very questionable human rights, that's obviously a no-go, and obviously it means that we've sacrificed that moral high ground that we've had over City for the last several years. Not that it was that big anyway. I, I think I think there's the, there are the Glazers who are, from our perspective, pretty devious unpleasant types and then there's brutal regimes using united as a pr tool basically yeah i mean put it this way i certainly would not want to swap the glazers for the saudis if that meant that we suddenly get access to all this wonderful money if that is the the cost then i'm not necessarily happy but i'd rather stick with the devil i know pardon the pun yeah because because the other devil is significantly worse yeah, an actual um, proper devil. Being perfectly honest, if if the Saudis bought United, I, it would really test not my devotion to the club, but it would it would test my connection to the club in a way. How do you really celebrate success that comes off the back of essentially the misery of murder of others? In a sense, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. No, I agree completely. It would be a very, very, very difficult thing to get my head around. I think. Um, and even if, you know, particularly in the current climate where the Saudis are under enormous amount of pressure after the alleged, or I'm not even sure it's alleged anymore, just accepted that the journalist was murdered in the Saudi embassy in Istanbul, they're even more tainted at the moment than normal. But essentially money always wins out, doesn't it? You know, the US and the UK will continue to sell arms to the Saudis for billions of pounds a year and the world will keep turning because because the Saudis have an enormous amount of money. But we can't in all conscience have, have spent the last how many years to a degree denigrating City because the source of their owner's money and then essentially end up with owners who are worse and be anything other than very, very upset by that prospect. Yeah, um, there's nothing about that whole situation that is palatable or comfortable. So no. let's hope to God that it doesn't happen, quite frankly. Yeah, anyway, absolutely. on that cheery note, we'll leave that part of the pod. <laughs> Cheers, mate. Thanks, mate. Harriet, long time no speak. How are you? Yeah, very well, thank you. You and how are you? Pretty good, pretty good. I've, I've enjoyed a relatively quiet international break, just ready for everything to kick back off at the weekend. But we're not going to talk about that right now. We're going to talk about the women's team. Um, something that you've been waiting for for a long time throughout your United supporting career. And earlier on this year, it finally happened. So that must have been an incredibly exciting time. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's been said over and over and over again. It's been such a long time coming. Um, it was, you know, we used to have women's team back in the early noughties. Noughties? Yeah, noughties. That works. Yeah. Um, yeah, for whatever reason, disbanded. We've always had such a really really good group of young girls come through Centre of Excellences and they've just gone on to shine elsewhere. 
Um, so Izzy Christensen started at United. Katie Zellum, who's now come back and is having a great start to the season, uh, had to leave. And then now she's been able to come back. It's been a long time coming, and but better late than never. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, you've been actually covering some of the games for the actual club itself. So how's that been as an experience so far? Yeah, it's been it's been brilliant. And, uh, you know, the football hasn't disappointed. It's been, you know, they, they pride themselves on being an attacking team, but also on uh, having a good foundation at the back. I mean, they haven't conceded in over seven hours of football at the time of us recording this, um, which is, is incredible. It's been a really, really positive start to the season. Not unbeaten, but unbeaten in the league. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I think, you know, there's been some particular highlights with uh, banging in 12 against Aston Villa. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. And <laughs> that was quite a turn up, um, especially uh, after that was directly after the, the Reading game that they lost mm. um, in the Continental League Cup. They can definitely recover from disappointments uh, should they come their way. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's been, been an absolute joy to watch, to be honest. And they're given they're a group of 21 strangers, really, uh, four months ago. The amount of togetherness that you can see amongst them and the friendship that they have, they're always commenting on each other's Instagram posts, replying to tweets. They're just, they just seem to really get on with each other. And it's, it's, it's great to kind of, to watch that and see them bring that onto the pitch as well. Yeah, I'm feeling positive. Fantastic. Yeah, you mentioned there, it, it... Oh, gosh, what was it? Was it April, May that the squad actually started coming together? You know, it, Casey Stoney seems to have done a wonderful job of getting this team together. It's a very interesting sort of mix of, you know, you've got experienced heads like Siobhan Chamberlain, and then you've got the, late, the younger ladies like Katie Zellum and Jess Sigsworth coming through. And it just seems to have all come together rather amazingly. You know, you go back to that first game against Liverpool women in the Continental Cup, as you mentioned there. What a way to win the game as well. Fantastic fantastic late winner yeah it was absolutely brilliant and they actually only got together um kind of june time june july all right even better yeah i mean i i I was lucky enough to be asked to go up and actually cover the behind the scenes launch of the team before anyone knew the who the players were uh so i was you know i was in victoria warehouse meeting all the girls and i interviewed every single one of them that day which was a long day but it's one of those days that you never really want to end uh I was just like as a as a fan and to be there at the very beginning and you know see how excited they all were as well was just incredible and they just could not wait to get going they couldn't wait to pull on the red shirt and play and you know have that slice of history because I did a a written piece for the website and I was just like every single one of these players is going to be in the history books at the club. So that's just incredible. And all of them were kind of, you know, saying how proud they were to to be at the club. And then to uh, have that first fixture announced as Liverpool away. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you know, Liverpool are, are a team in WSL 1, uh, the Women's Super League, uh, as it is now. They've, they've rebranded from WSL 1 and 2 to um, Women's Super League and the Women's Championship. We, you know, to have the first game against a team in the league above who, you know, most of them, I mean, I know there were a lot of changes at Liverpool, mostly because quite a few of the players came to United, uh, namely (laughs) Alex Greenwood and Siobhan Chamberlain and some of the youth players as well. But, you know, it's no mean feat to to go away from home in your first match together playing and and get the win in in the 84th minute. uh, Lizzie Arnott stuck, stuck one in. 
um, mm. after some really, really good play. And, and I think the word of the moment for that game was just persistence. Uh, they were resolute and they were persistent and they had a game plan uh, and they, they were working the wings. They got their award and Liverpool hit the hit the bar or the post immediately after the goal, pretty much. So it was quite a tight game, but it was oh, that feeling. I literally I hit the roof. I was just going absolutely bonkers. It was just an incredible feeling. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it was such a great goal as well. I mean, Alex Greenwood's work down the left-hand side to make it happen. Superb cross. And as you mentioned there, Arnott tapping in. in, in for a script for the women's uh, team's <laughs> first game since coming back from being reformed, to score a late winner against Liverpool. I mean, that's just perfect. And as well, watching that game in particular, it was clear just how much attacking talent we've got. You know, we created a lot of chances in that game and that's been persistent pretty much throughout the entire season so far, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Every game pretty much has been been similar. The thing that, you know, keeps com- cropping up in, in conversation is we just need to be more clinical. Uh, other than Aston Villa. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, we just need to stick the chances away um, because that was one of the frustrating things against Durham. We just we had the chances still, but we just didn't put them away. And we've hit the bar. One player in particular has hit the bar so often, it's unbelievable. Kirsty Hansen hit the bar, I think, in either three or four consecutive matches. And she, <laughs> I interviewed her for, for one of the programmes. And uh, yeah, she said that finally getting on the score sheet was just, you know, incredible feeling. Um they just want to be clinical. They're, they're so focused on being clinical and sticking their chances away. Yeah, you can just see that they're they're so hungry and they're so determined. They're so focused. And, you know, ultimately, you know, they can see and they know that promotion is is that aim. They're not, they're not hiding that. That's what they want. They want to win the league. Uh, and they've, they've made a jolly good start at doing that. Yeah, you're not wrong. I mean, the only blotch on the record was that game you mentioned against Reading. And that was 2-0 in the Continental Cup. But since then... 12-0 against Villa, 3-0 against Sheffield United, 5-0 against London Bees, that 0-0 against Durham, and then, uh, gosh, yeah, a couple of days ago, 3-0 against Charlton Athletic. You know, that's joint top at the moment, albeit having played one game extra than Spurs, but 23-plus goal difference. That is an insane start to the league season. Yep, 23-plus, and that's all goal scored, none conceded, which is just mental and you know something that they're really proud of rightly so so it's kind of a, a running thing now that you know they don't want you know nobody wants to concede but they're determined to keep that run going going back to to reading i think that was that was a tough one the performance was a good one and again you know playing against a team in the league above a well-established team that are towards the top of the women's super league they put in a really good shift uh, and the 2-0 scoreline is actually a little bit misleading in that one um, for the defeat so they were pushing hard for the equaliser and then uh, right towards the end and Reading pop up the other end and knock in the seconds to to finish it off but I think those two performances against against team, uh, Liverpool and Reading are hugely promising for the future of this team and considering you know how how young they are it's it only bodes well for the future and and the way that Casey has integrated the real youngsters. Lauren James started the season as a 16-year-old. She's now turned 17, but what a player. Uh, she's had an absolutely phenomenal start. She's a proper powerhouse in the centre, or, or pushed up into a, into a number nine. She just terrifies defenders when she runs at them. And she's so strong, so strong. She just 
bullies them off the ball. It's unbelievable. Thankfully, didn't miss her too much uh, at the weekend uh, against Charlton. Uh, she was actually away on international duty with three other members of the squad as well. Yeah, they did the job against Charlton, bouncing back from that Durham disappointment uh, and also the international break. Uh, so there was an international break in between the Durham and the Charlton game. So quite a few of the players went off, including Alex Greenwood, who played in both games, I think, for Phil Neville. Um, so there's another United connection there. She's been uh, saying that he tells her a few few United stories uh, when she goes <laughs> away. They've all got WhatsApp groups with him as well, which has been quite widely reported that they they all have chats to him fairly regularly. He loves WhatsApp. Yeah, it's it's been it's been such a good start to the season. It's just I think everyone wants to wants it to continue. Uh, and next up is Leicester away. Hmm. Who else has impressed you as well this season? Uh, Kirsty Hansen. I think she's been she's started every game so far, and she's just been she's such uh, a determined player, and she. She's dangerous going forward, but she puts an absolute shift in going back and winning the ball and making sure that, you know, if a teammate's out of position, then she's there to cover. Um, She's got a good relationship going with Alex Greenwood uh, down the left when she plays in front of her. She's been doing doing wonders on the on the wing. I think she's she's uh, looking to have a few more shots and get those away uh, rather than than always setting them up because she set up quite a few uh, this season, particularly for Lizzie Arnott, I think, uh, that they've been combining quite well. Uh, and obviously Alex, club captain, she's been leading by example right from the off. Uh, you can see her motivating her teammates and talking all the time. She's she's a really good communicator and she she's quite the character to have in the dressing room. And she, you know, she says it as it is. She will drive up standards. I think everybody, every member of that squad, they all work really, really hard. And you can see that they work hard for each other. That's been really good so far. It's a really nice mix amongst a squad of experience and youth. Alex combines both of those, really, because she's, although she's quite experienced, she's still pretty young. Yeah, it's 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 looking rosy. <laughs> Fantastic. So one word of caution, who should United be looking out for in the league this season? Who could get in the way of promotion? To get in the way of promotion? <laughs> Um, good question. It's a difficult one to answer, to be honest, because it's such a it's such a new league. Tottenham have obviously had a good start. Charlton were were doing quite well until they came came to us. Three. <laughs> well, you got. I think you've got to say to say Spurs at the moment. Uh, yeah, because quite a lot of these teams, to be honest, I haven't seen play until this season because the coverage of the Women's Championship or WSL two wasn't great previously so I think well Durham had a game plan when they came to play United and you know they it worked they came to get a point they got a point so if they can they can implement those kind of game plans throughout the season get the results that they're after and that you know they're really well organized team then they'll be one to to look out for as well Hmm. imagine the away leg against Durham will be a quite a tasty one let's say Absolutely. I mean, let's see. Five games in, Spurs coming up in a couple of weeks' time as well. It It's started better than I think many of us would have predicted, and it's been really great to see so far, hasn't it? So, guess long may it continue. You know, it's fingers crossed yeah. that the season ends... Well, we'll talk before the end of the season regardless, but let's hope the season ends in promotion. And in, what, two seasons' yeah. time, United in the Champions League. That's the aim, surely. Yep. Yeah, I've had conversations about the Champions League. A few of these players gave up Champions League football to come back to United, Katie Zellum being one. So she was at Juventus 
uh, they'd they qualified for the Champions League for the first time in their history because they'd only been uh, started for a, a, you know a year ago as well. You know that is the aim for all of them, and they're they're pushing towards that. They know that they're right at the beginning of the journey right now, but you know they've made such a a solid start. They've got a great foundation to go on and, and achieve those goals, those lofty goals. But they, I think, you know, I have every confidence that they will. Fantastic. All right, Harriet. Well, pleasure to speak to you as always. Thanks for taking the time to chat to us. We'll be speaking to you again in a little while. Take care, mate. You're welcome. Well, to be fairish, I think that was probably about right, wasn't it? 1-0 at home and... To be honest, I really didn't expect much more than that after that early Dybala goal. It's pretty gosh-darn standard for us these days, isn't it? Yeah, you know, we played we played an absolutely exceptional team in Juventus. You know, arguably the best or amongst the two or three best teams in Europe. In principle, losing to them isn't a travesty, but but there's so much of context in that in that game that was just really depressing. It's just an, it's just another game where I look at I look at United and I look what we offer and I just wonder how on earth Jose Mourinho still has a job. <laughs> yeah, I mean honest. I think what's stopping me from getting too frustrated with the result or too angry with the performance or anything that happened tonight was the fact that we didn't get hammered. You know, as you said there, it was one nil against a very good Juventus side who arguably could have scored more goals but for David De Gea being David De Gea. And by the end of it, Juve seemed pretty happy to settle for the 1-0. That might have come back and bitten them in the backside had Pogba's shot actually cannoned in off Chesney off the post. But other than that, 90 minutes, we just didn't create anything. And it was beat for beat, so similar to what we saw against Chelsea, wasn't it? Just a very slow, lethar- well, I say lethargic, a pondering first half in which we got overrun so frequently. The midfield was just bypassed. Pogba and Matic, especially when we didn't have the ball, were just almost redundant. And we just found it so difficult to build anything. Passes were going astray. The movement wasn't really there. Lukaku was struggling up front. Yes, the delivery wasn't great, but he wasn't really offering much in terms of movement. And it was far too easy for that first goal. Gosh, what was it? Who was crossing it? Was it Sandro down the right? It's Ronaldo, wasn't he? He crossed it in, I think. Oh, of course, yeah. Ronaldo, yeah. Got that nick off the defender as, as I think Quadrado came in and Matic, uh, as is his way at the moment, didn't bother to track Dybala. And it was an easy goal. Mm, and that was um, almost unsurprising, wasn't it? You know, we've given away so many early yeah. goals in the first half. You know, in the first 20 minutes, you just want United to try and keep it. I mean, it, it sounds ridiculous, but you kind of just want us to be steady enough that we don't have to worry about conceding. And we didn't concede an absolute hatful of chances to the point that we got overwhelmed. So that's one minor point of positivity. And again, I thought Victor Lindoff was great tonight. But again, you know, it's just so stodgy and difficult to watch United especially in that first half at least we came out and tried a little bit more after the break but again even that wasn't good enough it isn't enough and under Mourinho I just don't think consistently it's going to get any better than this now I think we are now in the rut that is going to define the end of his time at United his complete inability to send out a team that can even look like they've met each other before in the first half of games is just absolutely chronic there, there almost is no point in watching the first half of United games because you know you're not going to get anything anything to look at there was no plan the only plan appeared to be sit back in our own half try and press Juve when they kind of got into a, the last sort of 35 yards maybe maybe 10 yards short of the halfway line try and press them then and then if we won the ball back any deeper than that just hoof it <clears throat> just hoof it aimlessly up towards Lukaku who's been hopeless for weeks anyway and is absolutely undroppable and Matic was absolutely hopeless again 
in the first half. But oh, there's no. Was, well, to be fair, it was pretty hopeless in the second half. How many misplaced passes when we were in decent positions going forward? Yeah, I mean, there were so many things from that game that were damning of Mourinho. The, the first halves, the lack of direction, the lack of any sharpness or game plan beyond punting it or getting it wide and trying to cross. And, and the most damning thing of all is that it's Mourinho's sort of favourite lieutenants who he signed who are who are the most abject footballers at the club at the moment in in terms of form i don't know perhaps in terms of talent as well i don't know but and yet they they never dropped and on the bench is a guy midfielder who cost 52 million pounds who it appears Mourinho has absolutely no interest in playing the club shouldn't have done what they did in in the summer and completely blacked out on his transfer plans but honestly you look at it now that's you add lukaku to matic to Fred, that's £170 million worth of footballs they've given him, which he's getting, he's getting nothing out of. You know, and then I mean, we, we talk about the second half. There's a bit more in the second half than usually is, just because we seem to up the tempo after half-time or, you know, when we're behind. But ultimately, it was just a case of chucking in crosses or hoping that someone, someone like Martial or Pogba or maybe Rashford just did something incredible. And to, to not make any substitutions, regardless of what's on the bench, the entire match is just absolutely staggering. Just to try and change the context of the game. I mean, at half time, it felt like matter for Fred might have given us some control of midfield and maybe a bit more impetus. Because one thing Fred can do is chase the ball down quicker than Matic can and not put in a bit of pressure and maybe run yeah. at that defence a bit more because we didn't have anywhere near enough of that tonight. But no, no substitutions for the 90 minutes. I understand why he was hesitant to put Tahith Jong on there. I mean, they were surprised to see him on the bench to begin with, quite frankly. Although, to be fair, with Lingard and Sanchez out, I think that was more out of necessity than an actual desire to use him, to be quite frank. But regardless, just no changes made. You know, maybe and- Andres Pereira could have come on and done something to try and change the context and add a little bit of speed and a bit of pace with fresh Even legs Chong. to come in. Well, anything, anyone could have come yeah. on to that game. At that point, even in midfield, and just giving us a little bit more and a bit more energy and a bit more zip. Because what we repeatedly went to towards the end of that game was just trying to get the ball out to Ashley Young and hoping he can get a good cross in. And to be fair, he was under he was surrounded by two or three players persistently. You know, Matweedy didn't let him get much of a look in, to be quite frank. And I'm not going to have a go at Ashley Young for that because he really did try his best tonight. I'm not necessarily sure that he should be our long-term right back, but at the minute... I don't think the blame needs to be laid at his feet for not getting good deliveries in. I think it was perhaps just because Juventus realised that was where the most likely source of danger was coming from. And they nullified it. And once that avenue was closed down and we couldn't get balls into the box, we were feeding on scraps. You know, a couple of times Juventus got a bit sloppy in possession in the second half and we almost made them pay. But our attack is just so flawed fundamentally at the minute that we couldn't capitalise on it. And again, you know, it, it's the same old stuff that we've been talking about for the last several weeks. So I'm conscious of not repeating ourselves, but it's practically impossible not to at the minute. What is it going to take to get United firing or at least less apathetic at the start of games? What is it going to take to change this around? And the only thing I can think of at the minute is letting Mourinho go. You know, Real are probably yeah. looking for a new manager in the next couple of weeks or so. If Mourinho wants the job, does Woodward just pull the trigger and say, yep, go and just save himself the bother of having to do a massive payout? Who knows? As you mentioned on Twitter, that's a situation that could suit both parties pretty well. And, you know, people have mentioned, well, what other manager could come in and get this team into the top four at the minute? But that's no reason to... I'm sorry. It's absolute bullshit. What would holding on to Mourinho at this point with results like these and performances like these, fifth defeat of the season and we haven't even hit November... What do you gain by sticking with Mourinho at this point? 
you shake the dice and try something else before the season falls into a complete death spiral. Well, every, everywhere you look up above us in the Premier League, you're seeing managers who are who are performing considerably better than he is, with arguably with, with less resources. Or you know, Emery's just won ten games in a row with Arsenal. He, they had a summer transfer budget of fifty million euros, and you know they signed a load of reasonably cheap players, largely from the Bundesliga. But they've got an awful defence. You know, they're, going, they're putting out Mustafi and Rob Holding as the centre their centre backs. They're absolutely outplaying teams and they're playing beautiful football. Absolutely beautiful football at times. Anywhere he looks. I mean, United, I was going to say on, on Twitter, United looked like, in that first half, it looked like it was Watford against Juventus. Or, I don't know, Leicester against Juventus. But they might have put up more of, an, more of, a, more of a challenge than we did. I mean, you know, Watford are two points better than us in the Premier League and they're there because they've been better than us, ultimately. This team is lost. It's abject. Almost always abject. You know, we've seen in the Newcastle and the Chelsea games, there's been some sort of reaction when there's been no choice. And we've had to throw absolutely everything at it. Apart from that, there's just nothing there. It's dead behind the eyes. And there's no obvious plan as to where we go from here. You you could see the reason Mourinho didn't make any subs is because he didn't have Fellaini, basically. Well, yeah, he practically admitted that. I haven't got Fellaini on the bench that we reduce so often in these options. If that's the only option and that's the only trick up his sleeve, then... Good grief. That's pathetic. Three seasons in. We are three seasons in. If you'd have said at the start of Mourinho's tenure that United would be sat in 10th place and you'd made them made us sit through three or four of United's games this season to comprehend how abject a situation this team is in, it would be unfathomable that we'd want to take Mourinho on in those circumstances. But it's just unfathomable to me now and anybody thinks that he can get us out of this, that there's anything that he can do, that he's doing a a good job, regardless of what the club have done or haven't done or how they've behaved. You know, again, unfavorable comparisons. There's Pochettino down in North London who didn't sign a single player. He's got a smaller squad than United have, didn't sign a single player. And they're basically, they're a point off the top, I think, in that bunch of five teams that are right up there. He didn't moan, he didn't create an enormous fuss and poison the well. He's just getting on with it, and he's getting results. I appreciate we've just lost to Juventus, and we've had a little bit of. I think I think it's because we had a little bit of hope on at the weekend. Just maybe there was a response there. But if they mm. if he can't get them playing in the first half of a game against Juventus in the Champions League at Old Trafford, with the crowd really up for it, I mean the Old Trafford were really up for that game mm-hmm. at the start. Then it ain't happening. It's not. It's not happening. No, I mean I think realistically now you're almost waiting for a hammering to occur to really jolt the club into action because I don't know about you tonight I wasn't necessarily that angry I wasn't necessarily surprised you're just numb to it at this stage you are you Mm. expect this and this is becoming the routine at United and the longer that is allowed to go on the more damaging it's going to be and again the risk is that this season just peters out into nothing and we've got absolutely nothing to play for by the time we hit Christmas because at this stage now we're going off to Turin in a couple of weeks needing to realistically get something out of that game, maybe even a draw if we're lucky. Beating young boys at home, okay, that won't necessarily be too much of a tall order. And then we've got to go to the Mestalla and potentially win. You know, obviously young boys did us a favour tonight by drawing against Valencia. But going to Spain in a must-win game in the Champions League under Mourinho, I would not fancy United at all to get through that. And there is no reason why we couldn't have been pushing Juventus a little bit higher. Yes, they are definitely a more complete side than we are. 
But I think there was there were enough signs tonight, especially in that second half, to suggest that there are flashes in this team that show that we could be performing better than we are. We're not going to do it under Mourinho. It's not going to happen. No. Look, I'll tell, you, I'll tell you what, I watched Young Boys against Valencia for the United game today. And obviously we, we, we saw the, the Young Boys versus United game in Switzerland as well. And in both those games, Young Boys had a thrash. They really had a thrash at, at us in the first half. They had a thrash at Valencia at points in both halves. And they could have won those games. And we're talking about a side with minimal resources compared to even Valencia. They went out on their own ground with their own fans there and they had a really good go. And ultimately it wasn't quite good enough against United because we just had a little bit too much quality. It was almost good enough against Valencia. And we've gone away in Europe and we've seen it quite regularly that teams have, have, have really come at us on their own grounds, even when they haven't got the resources or the, the technical quality that we do. You know, Juve came to United and we just laid down dead in the first half. You know, they played Spurs twice last year and I'd say that Spurs probably dominated two hours of those two games, really dominated them and, and Juve did what they do, which in particularly in the second game, which is they're just they were just incredibly efficient. And you know, a bit of quality and and now told in the second leg at Wembley. But Spurs matched them. Spurs really went for them and matched them. And we we now we've done it against Juventus and the last time we played New good it was against Sevilla and we just laid down and died at home as well. I think we're at the point now we're not getting results. We've got one win in seven, which is abject, and that win was against the worst team in the Premier League achieved by a last minute winner. And it's abject. It's abject. I don't know, I don't know what else to say. I'm just <sighs> we've had five years of really, really, really pragmatic, you know, ultimately not very even very efficient football. To have lived through that and to live through these three years of, of Mourinho as well and to have a team which is still incredibly pragmatic uh, with very little to shout about, very little to excite me and it actually being results being worse than when we started. It blows the mind, really. It really does. <laughs> yeah, I mean, with the talent that we've got at our disposal as well, it's just so frustrating that we can't make something happen. You know, I think most managers in this situation would realise that with the players that we have at our disposal going forward, there must be a better way of getting more out of them. But it's just, it's not going to happen. You know, I've, I've repeated no. myself on that far too much as it is, but that's the way of it. I mean, what's going to change? I don't know. I mean, United fans, to me at the minute, just seem to be grimly accepting of the situation. I'm not saying they're not angry and they're not frustrated with the team, but they accept the performances just because we don't expect anything more. And no. that is not going to alter itself. Not in the short term. You know, we might get a good performance every now and then, maybe like that second half against Newcastle after a bit of a surge. We might get a good couple of results near and here and there. But longer term, bigger picture, it's not really going to get much better than this now. I think we've hit our peak in the Mourinho and we hit it maybe several months ago. And regardless of what he says, regardless of, you know, annoyances you might have with Sanchez and Lingard being out, no Fellaini to offer him a chance of some sort of long ball redemption because Lukaku wasn't able to keep the ball up when we were playing long balls forward. No. Not Wasn't able to do it last game either, to be fair, bless him. It's not good enough. It isn't. And I don't know what it's going to take for United to act and actually decide we can't keep doing this or we need to try and salvage something from this season or we need some sort of you know injection of energy into the club and something a bit more positive. But maybe a hammering tonight would have done it. But who knows? I, I don't know. I think United are lost at the moment. And I think that's going to continue while they continue under Mourinho. Maybe it might not mm. immediately fix itself with his predecessor. But I'd much rather give that a shot than continue with this. Anyway, we'll leave it there. That's a wonderfully grim, depressing end to the episode. But I don't really think we can muster much more. All right, Rich. Well, we'll be back in action 
on Sunday against Everton, which will be a laugh. So, uh, yeah, quick yeah. prediction for that then. My, my prediction is I'm going to sit down on the sofa expecting absolutely nothing, and maybe I'll be <laughs> maybe I'll be a little bit pleasantly surprised at some point in the game, most likely in the second half, because the first half will unquestionably be absolutely shite on that cheery note guys thank you so much for listening we hope you've enjoyed this week's episode i've got some sort of grim enjoyment out of it anyway don't forget you can get us all over twitter you can get me at you and lenny you can get rich at at rich red voices and you can get the pod at, at red voices mufc i hope you start a superb week however you manage to do that and if you do manage to do that please let us know that'd be wonderful take care good night 